You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. The Bowery Boys episode 324, Moving Day, Madness and Mayhem in Old New York. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Support for the Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. Tom is not on the show today, but he wanted to pass along a message. Everything is fine, and he'll be joining me back on the show late next week. Today, I present to you one of the strangest traditions in New York City history, that curious custom known as Moving Day. Believe it or not, every May 1st, for well over two centuries, from the colonial era to World War II, okay, every May 1st, Rental leases would expire throughout the city simultaneously, and thousands of New Yorkers would pack their possessions into carts or wagons and move to new homes or apartments. Of course, for the rest of the world, May 1st would mean all different things, a celebration of spring or a moment of political protest. And it wouldn't mean those things here in New York too, but as a backdrop, to just unbelievable mayhem in the streets. To quote abolitionist and women's right activist Lydia Marie Child from an 1843 letter, All New York moves on the 1st of May, not only moves about as usual in the everlasting hurry-scurry of business, but one house empties itself into another, all over the city. The streets are full of loaded drays on which tables are dancing and carpets rolling to and fro. This custom might seem just modestly strange, say, in the late 18th century, when only about 40,000 people lived in New York City, confined to an area below Canal Street. That's a north to south distance of about one and a quarter miles. But just imagine a population of 1.2 million people in the 1880s, moving the whole length of the island. By the 1930s, over 1 million people would move on an average moving day. Of course, not everyone moved. Those who owned their homes or lived in boarding houses or hotels could only gasp in awe and most likely stayed inside until the chaos in the streets dissipated to a regular horse-smelling normalcy. So just imagine how this would play out today. 
Now, according to the last U.S. Census, renters in New York City made up 65% of the population. So basically, two-thirds of New Yorkers rent. If even a tenth of those people attempted to move today all at once, it would paralyze the city, preventing emergency services, food shipping, law enforcement, pretty much everything. Life would effectively shut down. Now, let me walk you through an example of what this would have been like. Using two New Yorkers from pop culture history who most famously moved. So, according to the TV show The Jeffersons, in 1975, George and Louise Jefferson moved from their Queen's apartment. Remember, they lived next door to Archie and Edith Bunker over there in Astoria, Queens. So they moved from their Queen's apartment to the Upper East Side, thanks in part to George's thriving dry cleaning business. Now, imagine George and Wheezy moving not in 1975, but 1875, and it's moving day. Well, first, I should say that as an African-American couple in 1875, they would have faced unbelievable challenges, discrimination based on the color of their skin that would have withheld certain city conveniences that white residents enjoyed, prejudices on public transit, unequal health services, harassment by cops, the institutional racism of living in America. And most likely, they would have moved to a black enclave in the village, say, and not the Upper East Side in 1875 due to housing discrimination and racial separation within New York society. So that's just an everyday reality for many New Yorkers at this time, making everything worse on May 1st. Now, in 1875, it would have been difficult, if not impossible, to move from Queens to the Upper East Side with your life in a cart because you only had ferry services to rely upon. It would have been Wheezy doing the moving, most likely with her son Lionel, as George Jefferson would most likely be working. By custom, people did not get moving day off without permission. And if Wheezy and Lionel were working also, then I honestly don't know what they did. Well, anyway, people generally had fewer possessions in 1875, at least those in the working class. So moving to a new home required perhaps maybe one single trip in a cart or wagon. If you could afford it, you hired a cartman to drive his horse-drawn vehicle filled with your possessions to the new destination. Although moving day was Christmas time for Cartman and charged what I suppose we would call surge pricing today. So in a typical case, the Cartman arrived at your house at the house that was being vacated. If you were lucky, you found a space on the street to load up the cart. To be truthful, this is a problem with moving and moving vans in New York City today in the year 2020. Maybe the cartman helped pack the cart, but mostly you were on your own. No elevators, no moving boxes, or any of that fun plastic bubble wrap. Your delicate possessions wrapped in rugs, 
coats, and clothing. Now, when you were all packed here, perhaps you cleaned your apartment before you left, although in researching the show, I must say that I saw way too many references to filthy vacancies to imagine that this was an accepted practice. Now, if you were lucky, you could send somebody to wait at the brand new place to monitor that things were going smoothly over there. So let's imagine that You know, Florence, Marla Gibbs is helping out here, so Wheezy and Lionel can go with the cartman, but maybe there's not room, because it's pretty small and filled with items, so maybe only Wheezy goes. Now, we're hitting the road with your valuable possessions on the busiest day of the year. If you were lucky, you hit streets that were newly paved in asphalt, a substance that debuted on the streets of New York in the 1870s. Otherwise, it was paved in stone blocks, and some streets were just gravel surfaces over raw earth, creating a whirlwind of dust, carrying the aroma of horse manure far and wide. The street was, of course, absolutely filled with horses. Every conveyance relied upon them. Even the streetcars were horse-drawn at this time. One spooked horse and your possessions might spill over, causing additional accidents. Oh, and it might be raining, because it's May 1st, after all. Hopefully, the Jeffersons' possessions are covered in a blanket or a tarpaulin. Between the bumpy road and the jerky movements of the cart, the fate of their glass and porcelain items was truly uncertain. And let's not forget street thieves who could and did run up and pluck items from your cart. Now, if all this sounds stressful to you and you could really use a drink, you could just ask your cartman because there's a strong chance that he's already been drinking. Moving day was one of the most profitable days of the year for liquor salesmen. It could take you over an hour just to move 20 blocks, but finally you get to your destination, and you hope, hope, that the prior tenant has moved out. Finally, you pay your cartman, although most likely he was paid up front, and you, or rather, Wheezy, Lionel, Marla Gibbs here, everyone comes out, unloads the carts under the same conditions previously described, takes the beat-up, broken, remaining items of their lives, takes them up to their brand-new deluxe apartment in the sky. Theirs is a situation that millions of New Yorkers shared over the centuries. So you might be asking, what the heck? Who came up with this concept? Ladies and gentlemen, we can blame the Dutch. There are a few theories about the origin of Moving Day, but most of them trace back to the Dutch colony of New Netherlands. Now, as we've mentioned on many shows before, following the expeditions of such explorers as Henry Hudson and Adrian Bloch, the Dutch arrived in North America and formed the colony of the New Netherlands, primarily as an outpost for the fur trade. With its chief settlements in New Amsterdam, on the island of Manhattan, and Beaverwig, or today's Albany, further north on the Hudson River. 
Now, May 1st had a special meaning to the Dutch settlers, for it was by tradition that this was the day they left the Netherlands to settle in this remote, uncertain wilderness. Now, what confuses this tidy little origin story here is that many European cultures celebrated a version of moving day. For instance, people in Montreal, Canada might feel their ears ringing during this show, for they too celebrate a tradition of moving day that was passed on from the French. It too was traditionally May 1st, although later on it was moved to July. All of these moving days, of course, may trace back to the pagan customs of May Day, a customary day of rebirth. But in Dutch New Amsterdam, it seems to have evolved beyond dancing around a maypole. There are no Midsommar-style celebrations here. In New Netherlands, May 1st is when social and business life began. For instance, the first day of trading season, or Handelstijd, linked New Amsterdam to the settlement of Beaverwig in a very specific way. To quote from the author Donna Merwick, quote, May 1st was a day when it profited an outsider to obtain a pass from the company at New Amsterdam for upriver passage and to arrange loadings or house rental. Rentals to transients were common, but an outsider could also purchase a house lot and earn the right to trade by swearing to build a dwelling, while actually squatting on a property by paying the first installment. Now, when the English came along and the Dutch colony became the New York colony, one might think that they would do away with so arbitrary a custom. But as the traditional celebration of May Day itself was quite popular in England, it made sense to leave many of these older customs, especially legal ones that might have been too cumbersome to remove. And so this tradition of moving day became so enshrined in colonial life that when the British finally left America in 1783, New Yorkers continued to recognize it. In 1799, a writer named Amy Armstrong wrote a letter to her local newspaper, flustered by this tradition and how it managed to possess her husband, who seemed programmed to move on May 1st. Here are the words of Amy Armstrong. The people of this city are seized on the 1st of May by a sort of madness that will not let them rest till they have changed their dwelling. It is now three years since I married Mr. Armstrong and came to live in New York. I was almost tired to death before I got completely settled in a nice little house in Greenwich Street. Our house, to be sure, had some inconveniences, but it is impossible to find a house exactly to one's mind. But I could not bring over my husband to my way of thinking. It was in vain to talk to him about the awkwardness and sadness that we feel in going into a new neighborhood and a new house. This he did not understand or feel. Yet all the world seems like my husband in this respect— I have a feeling, by the way, that many married women can really relate to the aches and pains of Amy's letter here. What should be underscored, though, is that there seems to be a choice, up until this time, a choice involved with moving day in the colonial era. In fact, 
There's just a very relatively small population, about 60,000 people in New York in the year 1800. The distance between one's old home to a new home really wasn't that far, and the number of renters versus the number of homeowners was rather small in comparison. But this changes in the 19th century. As the city grows through the century, as there's more income disparity, there are more people renting than ever. Shop owners who once lived upstairs from their place of employment now lived elsewhere, renting out those old quarters. Older dwellings were carved into separate living spaces as places to rent, and then by the 1830s came the tenement, a structure designed as a rental property. Now, while those like Amy Armstrong saw this as a confusing and growing problem, those in positions of power apparently didn't think so. In fact, in 1820, the state of New York enshrined the date in a new law, quote, that every agreement which shall be made for the hiring or occupation of any lands or tenements in the city of New York and which shall not particularly specify the time during which such hiring or occupation is to continue, shall be deemed and held valid until the 1st of May. How this more or less played out throughout the decades here was explained in an 1854 article in the New York Times, quote, The 1st of February is notice day between landlord and tenants. The house or shop or office not secured at this time passes into new hands at the close of the quarter, being in regular course the close of the lease year, unless accident or compromise wills it otherwise. When rents are going up, the poor tenant shakes in his shoes, or boots, if rent day has left him the luxury. So February 1st was known as Rent Day, the day tenants were given notice. And by May 1st, that was the day they were required to move. This was a recipe for mayhem. To quote from Mike Wallace and Edwin G. Burroughs in the book Gotham, quote, of no great consequence in more settled times, moving day now became an ever more frenetic affair, especially in neighborhoods comprised primarily of propertyless renters, thousands packed their belongings, hired a cartman, if they could find one, and moved to new quarters. Now we'll take a dive into the maelstrom known as 19th Century Moving Day after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC 
in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. The English novelist and travel writer Francis Trelope, whose son Anthony Trelope would become a well-known writer in his own right, was simply beside herself when she first observed the practice of moving day during a visit in 1832. Quote, on the 1st of May, the city of New York has the appearance of sending off a population flying from the plague. Rich furniture and ragged furniture, carts, wagons, and drays, ropes, canvas, and straw, packers, porters, and draymen occupy the street from east to west, from north to south, on this very day. It seems that every writer who ever stepped foot in New York during the 19th century had something to say about the custom of moving day. It was kind of like the Wild West. Worse, actually. In fact, when the king of the wild frontier himself, Davy Crockett, came to town during a moving day, it almost sent the poor man weeping into his raccoon skin cap. He wrote in his 1834 autobiography, quote, by the time we returned down Broadway, it seemed to me that the city was flying before some awful calamity. What under heaven is the matter? Everyone appears to be pitching out their furniture and packing it off. It seemed a kind of frolic, as they were changing houses just for fun, unquote. Now, some did try to find some fun and absurdity in this whole thing, such as an anonymous poem writer from Peter Parley's Almanac for Old and Young from the year 1836. So I shall now read you a piece of poetry. Bustle, bustle, clear the way. He moves, we move, they move today. Pulling, hauling, father's calling, mother's bawling, children squalling, coaxing, teasing, whimpering, prattling, pots and pans and kettles rattling. Tumbling bedsteads, flying bedspreads, broken chairs and hollow wares. Strew the street, tis moving day. Bustle, bustle, stir about. Some moving in, some moving out. Some move by team, some move by hand. An annual Calathumpian band. Landlords dunning, tenants shunning. Laughing, crying, dancing, sighing. Spiders dying, feathers flying. Shaking bed rugs, killing bed bugs. Scampering rats, mewing cats, whining dogs, grunting hogs. What's the matter? Moving day. Thank you. Keep in mind that those previous examples that I've just read are from the 1830s. That poem, 1836, 
New York had not even begun to get overcrowded, right? It's in the following decades that you have huge numbers of Irish and German immigrants coming to New York. And of course, immigration would not slow at all over the next several decades afterwards. Of course, poor newly arriving immigrants would be severely taken advantage of in terms of their own rental agreements. On moving day, many had only their own children and a few possessions from their journey over to accompany them into a new home. To be clear, you didn't have to move if you could renegotiate your lease. But with very few rent regulations in place in the 19th century, landlords could raise rent suddenly and steeply. This contributed to the great turnover in apartments that made moving day such an awful mess. Now, in times of crisis, we do know that New Yorkers love to drink. And every May 1st, liquor sellers threw open their doors early in the morning, anticipating the demand. Everyone was on edge on this day, with accidents, street fights, shouting matches, not to mention the thousands of dollars of possessions damaged in all of these moves. Now, I also happened to find an old advice column from 1855 about how to conduct oneself uh, during moving day activities. And quite honestly, I think this is some pretty good advice for just many occasions. Quote, keep your tempers, good people. Don't growl at the cartman, nor haggle over the price charged. When the scratched furniture comes in, don't believe it is utterly ruined. A few nails, a little glue, a piece of putty, and a pint of varnish will rejuvenate many articles that will grow very old twixt morning and night, and undo much of the mischief which comes from moving. Now, on this one particular day, May 1st, this, you may have guessed this, the most powerful person in the city was a cartman, the 19th century equivalent of a furniture mover. The high-end, more established cartmen charged top dollar, almost highway robbery, as there was so much demand for movers. In fact, farmers from Long Island and from all around the region, actually, came into town with their carts and horses to make a little extra money on the side. In 1872, a cartman named Isaac S. Lyon put his recollections into a very interesting book called Recollections of an Old Cartman. Here's what he had to say, quote, During the last two weeks in April of each year, the cartmen began to put on a few extra airs and look and act with more importance than at any other time during the year. Everybody calls him Mr. Cartman. He then becomes very domineering and everyone feels that it is their interest, if not their duty, to bow and cringe to him. For on that day of all the year, it is generally admitted that a cartman may charge any price he pleases. Naturally, after decades of this craziness, people tried their best to negotiate new, more convenient arrangements, and very slowly, a general exception was being practiced, an October 1st moving day. Having two moving days now at least spread out that chaos a little bit. This was an especially desirable arrangement for middle and upper middle class families who happened to leave the city during the summer. In particular, it was first witnessed in one up-and-coming neighborhood of wealth in the 1880s, the Upper West Side. From the New York Sun in 1888, quote, Moving day in the uptown apartment house district has been shorn of much of its universality 
by a clever device which the landlords have within two or three years adopted, greatly to their own profit. These landlords, wherever possible, make their leases run from October 1st instead of May 1st, and so strenuously have they insisted on the change that probably near half the flatholders in the upper part of the city, in particular in the new district on the west side, now hold their apartments for the newfangled term." Unquote. By this time, New York City had grand bridges like the Brooklyn Bridge, elevated trains, and it would soon, of course, have a subway system. And with the consolidation of New York City becoming more likely at the end of the 19th century, many New Yorkers began moving to the boroughs. Now, generally speaking, from the perspective of boroughs like Queens and the Bronx, moving day is almost universally described warmly in the press because it, it's bringing in new residents. From the Brooklyn Daily Eagle in May of 1895, at least two-thirds of the loaded vans have brought household effects to this side of the river, and a majority of these have been from New York City. The advantages offered by Brooklyn in the way of rent have begun to be appreciated by New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. That new date of October 1st began to quickly catch on, especially into the 20th century. Automobiles began to supplant horse-drawn carts as a way to move your possessions. Meanwhile, van owners, the new cartmen here, began lobbying to spread moving out over more and more days, allowing, of course, for a more stable workforce who could work steadily throughout the year. And yet, believe it or not, moving day remained a tradition in New York well into the 1930s, even in the heart of the Great Depression, with some people moving on May 1st, while others on October 1st. In fact, it even became the subject of a 1936 Mickey Mouse short called Moving Day, which shows Donald and Mickey pacing in front of a calendar clearly marked October 1st, their rents due, when who should show up at the door but Big Bad Sheriff Pete. So what eventually eliminated moving day? Because thank goodness we don't really have this anymore. It kind of just fades away. It dissipates. World War II is one of the leading causes, with many in the moving industry actually away at war. If you listen to our show from last year on the development of Stuyvesant Town, the massive housing complex on Manhattan's east side, you also know that there was a major housing shortage in New York by this time, which also contributes to the end of Moving Day. From the front page of the New York Times, October 1st, 1946, Moving Day finds a city staying put. Five years ago this morning, the traditional moving date, trucking outfits in the city expected to move about one million people from apartment to apartment. New Yorkers were described as nomadic, and it was estimated that the average New York family moved into a new quarters every 18 months. Yesterday, Louis Schramm Jr. of the Movers and Warehousemen's Association of Greater New York laughed and commented, quote, 
Sorry, there's no story on moving day. You see, there's no moving. Finally, there was the advent of rent control in New York in the 1950s. People could now afford to live in one place for a longer period of time. Moving Day was, of course, still a national phenomenon. Believe it or not, it was entrenched as a tradition in many areas of the country. In 1955, it was reported that almost 20% of the U.S. population moved on a designated Moving Day. But here in the city, New Yorkers finally got to enjoy a May 1st in peace. New Yorkers finally learned to stay home. On the website, BoweryBoysHistory.com, you can check out some illustrations of crazy people moving things, and maybe even a couple photos of crazy people moving things. Most of them are illustrations, though, from the early 19th century. They're really beautiful, actually. A very big thank you to everyone who supports our podcast on Patreon.com. Now, for just a small donation, you really are helping keep the Bowery Boys podcast up and running during this difficult time. And we are completely humbled by your support. Honestly, this is really an unprecedented moment, and we are grateful and happy to be able to be here and keep you occupied during this time. So thank you so much. And I, in particular, I wanted to give a very special Bowery Boy shout out to Dave S. from Manhattan, Danielle M. from San Francisco, and additional patrons, Robin R., Michael P., Jennifer K., Arlette H., Jean, Mark S., Jason J., Ruth H., Marlene M., Dennis M., Jamie L., Philippa S., Tapiwa H., Clayton A., and Reckoner 04. And two more thank yous. First, a shout out to our listener Janice R., who who made Tom and I some masks to wear as we go out on our adventures. We don't go far, but when we do go out, uh, we wear masks, and Janice made us some. So I'll, I'll, put, I'll post a photo of that on our website. So thank you very kindly, Janice. And I also wanted to thank Vinny P., who gave us the idea for this show, who wrote in and, and wanted to see a show on Moving Day. So here you are, Vinny. Thank you for emailing. So I have a lot of stuff that I have to catch up on. So there will not be a show this Tuesday, okay? I'm catching a breath. But on next Friday's show, so a week from now, there will be an all-new episode, and I believe Tom will be joining us. And that's, at least that's the plan. And he can share with you what he's been up to. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. 